0: Hey, y'all, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I am your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. In this episode number 285, I have the privilege of inviting back Paul David Tripp.
1: One of the things that i've tried to keep in mind as we're going through this unprecedented thing that's basically shut down the globe and puts us in in concentrated moments as a family is what the cross of jesus christ teaches us is that god can can produce very good things out of very bad things what could be worse than the death of jesus what could be better than the death of jesus and so I want to ask the question, what is the good that God wants for my marriage, wants for my parenting out of this, what seems to be a very bad moment? And so you you look for that good, and then you think, how can I be part of of that good?
0: Paul David Tripp is one of the most popular guests on this podcast, and this is his fourth time visiting the show. And if you want links to the other episodes, which I would highly recommend checking out, go over to DontMomAlone.com. You can always search by his name to find those episodes. Today, we have the privilege of Paul answering a couple of your questions on marriage and parenting. We talk about trust, about getting on the same page with your spouse when it comes to discipline, and three stages of gospel parenting. But we barely scratched the surface, even though this is a long episode. And I know you guys don't like long episodes, but just split it up. Pretend like it's two short episodes. Uh, and if it's still not going to be enough for you, thank goodness, before shelter in place, Paul recorded eight live sessions for on marriage, for on parenting, that you can purchase a bundle of over at family.paultrip.com and just get the support you need in times that are unprecedented. All right, let's get to my chat with Paul. Here we go. Hey, Paul, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast.
1: It's so good to be with you.
0: Oh, man. Well, we need you now even more than I said we needed you before to guide us in unprecedented times. And we had planned to have this conversation. I mean, I think we've been talking since last fall to record something this spring. And you have created some new content, videos you were able to record before the shelter in place on marriage and parenting. And we can point people over to family.paultrip.com for more information on that. But today... We're going to answer some questions people are having right now in the midst of being sheltered in place with people and relationships, you know, that probably the hardest parts are rising to the surface under the stress. So let's start with marriage, I think. Okay. All right. So since I've kind of alluded to it, let's talk about how we can have effective marital conversations when conflicts or differences arise.
1: So well, let me, let me. Frame what I'm going to say by talking about this moment, and then marriage, and then we'll get to the question. One of the things that I've tried to keep in mind as we're going through this unprecedented thing that's basically shut down the globe, and puts us in in concentrated moments as a family, is what the cross of Jesus Christ teaches us is that God can can produce very good things out of very bad things. What could be worse than the death of Jesus? What could be better than the death of Jesus? And so I want to ask the question, what is the good that God wants for my marriage, wants for my parenting out of this, what seems to be a very bad moment? And so you, you look for that good, and then you think, how can I be part of, of that good? The second thing I would say is, all of the advice that I would give on marriage is based on this understanding. And when I'm going to say it, say it, it may be disappointing to people, but I think I can explain it in a way that gives hope. Marriage wasn't intended to be comfortable. Marriage was intended to be transformational. If God's plan was to make marriage comfortable, he's a massive failure. <laughs> if, you want a com- if, you, if you want a comfortable marriage, It's stupid to put a flawed person next to a flawed person. So God has something more for us than just every moment would be easy and every moment it would be comfortable. What he has for us is one, that we would be changed by our marriage, that we would become actually better people, more loving, more kind, more patient. And the way that happens is by us being pushed beyond, our normal normal limits of our comfort. And in doing that, we seek God and we seek help and and we grow. You've never heard anybody say, I had the most easiest three years and I learned so much. <laughs> You've never heard that. But you hear again and again people who are dealing with uncomfortable things to talk about how much they learned in the process. That's marriage. Now, why do why is there ever anything called conflict in a marriage. Why do marriage conflicts exist? Well, I can give you two reasons for that. First, the God who made lilies made rocks. We have a creator that has a wide variety of creativity. And so it's almost impossible to describe a human being because we're all so different from one another. That's the glory of God as creator right we have conflict secondly because we're flawed and we don't always think the right things we don't always desire the right things we don't always want the best we don't always love the way we should so here's what this means that unity in a marriage unity and love and understanding is not the result of sameness but it's what you do in the face of difference Because we'll never experience uniformity in marriage. Never. Because I will never be exactly like that other person. I won't think the same way. I won't have the same definition of beauty. That person's definition of a good day may be completely different than mine. So unity is the result of what you do in those moments when you're not on the same page.
0: Well, I'm thinking about in this situation, I may be grieving on a given day differently than he is, or the way I grieve is different than the way he is. And so giving grace to that difference day to day, hour to hour.
1: So what I would say is uh, often disappointment uh, is the result of the kind of expectations you have. Disappointment is always related to expectation. If I have the wrong set of expectations, then I'm going to hurt and disappointed because I'm expecting uniformity, and I'm never going to I'm never going to get that. Right. Luella and I have this thing all the time where somebody will text us both something's going on, and I give this succinct response. I hope it's loving <laughs> and caring but succinct. And she writes this beautiful long long text, and I, every time I read one of those, I think. We both love these, this person, but we love them in such different ways. Now, that's, that shouldn't make me mad. Uh, it should make me jealous. It's just because there's a God who's just amazingly creative. Now, what you need to do in conflict is make sure you don't personalize what is not personal.
0: Oh, that's good.
1: What I mean is, Uh, In those moments, Luella's not writing that text to make me look bad. She has no intention to do that at all. She's just different than me. And if you personalize what is a personal, then you'll take offense all over the place at things that were not intended against you. They're just a difference. Now, if you walk into that, let me me keep going here. If you walk into that having taken offense, then you accuse something that person of something that wasn't their intention, they feel are wrongly accused, so they go back at you, and all of a sudden you got a big conflict happening. But it started because I want uniformity rather than unity. Look, of course, you and your husband, you and your wife are going to disagree on how to spend money. That's not a horrible thing. That's just a thing you need to learn how to work through whether it's sexuality or parenting i would expect nuances of difference in all of those areas and so uh there's two things that i would say you you first of all handle those differences with appreciation god put this different lady in my life not as a bad joke but because i was intended to grow and become a better Paul as a result of that. There's a good purpose for these differences. And we don't often feel that way. We, we, we like things to be easy and comfortable and the same, and sometimes it's hard for us to appreciate those differences. The second thing I would say is you want to deal with them with grace. Now, when I use the word grace, People just think I mean being per- permissive and just let anything happen. What I mean is you ask the question as you move toward that person, what is God trying to do in this moment with us as a couple and how can I be part of that?
0: I'm thinking of the difference of even how I'm staying socially connected to my friends versus my spouse in this time and and this conflict arises of me trying to put on to him like, shouldn't you text your friends? Don't you want to talk to? I'm like, like, I'm trying to put what fills me up onto him. And I don't know if other spouses are dealing with that in their homes, but.
1: That's why that uniformity goal even becomes more problematic when we're we're stuck with one another all the time. Because what, <laughs> what will happen is yeah. you will notice more and more of those differences than you ever noticed before. And if those make you want to turn that person into you, and then get mad when that doesn't happen, then you're gonna have, you're gonna just have a really hard time. Look, I'm never intended to rise to the throne of creator and try to create that other person in my image.
0: Right, wow, yeah.
1: That's that's not what I'm called to, that's God's job. God's created me in his image. That's not what I'm supposed to do. What I'm supposed to do is appreciate god's creativity and the way he has formed that other person and then work with our differences with patience understanding and grace that's hard because sometimes those differences just make life so tense and awkward and that's where you got to step back and say this person's not my enemy luala doesn't get up in the morning and say at 12 o'clock, I'm going to write a text that's of such beautiful content and length. It's going to drive Paul crazy. Yeah, that's what I'll do. <laughs> yeah, She doesn't do that. But if I, if I treat it as if that's what's going on, then we're, we're not going to be able to live in this world of difference. Listen, give up any hope that your husband or wife is going to be just like you. that choice has already been made. That train has left the station. Now, what you need to focus on is how can we deal with one another's differences in a way that results in unity, understanding, and love between us.
0: Yeah. So how how do we stay united in the face of those differences? I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, God, what are you going to teach me I know I can't change this person, but they're taking their stress out by hyper-cleaning everything in the house, and it's making me crazy. So how do you, how do you stay united?
1: Don't take offense at what is not an offense, just a difference.
0: Yeah, so in the moment saying, okay, am I frustrated, angry, because they are responding in a way different than I would, and this is not personal?
1: Maybe... uh your, uh, your husband and your wife is walking through the television room, and she's, she is obsessively rearranging pillows. <laughs> and you think, if she touches another pillow, I'm going to go nuts. What is that? that that's, something's going on inside of her. There's something that she's dealing with. There's some way that she's different than you. This is not a personal thing. It's not a relational thing. It's not meant to distress you. It's just this person, whatever's happening at that moment, has a different way of dealing with that. Maybe she's thinking as she's arranging pillows, if this man doesn't turn off that stupid television, I'm (laughs) going to go nuts. There are people in this house. And and so uh, you can't take offense at what is not an offense.
0: Yeah, what's a good way in that moment to have unity, to recognize the difference, and then, yeah, come together in unity?
1: Probably in that moment, it's not best to go after that. <laughs> okay. But you, but you want to know that, and uh, it, it depends on how old your children are. Let, let's say you have children who are now in bed and you say, you know, one of the things I've noticed as we've, as we've been together is just, just how different we are from one another. And you open up a loving, patient conversation about just how to negotiate those differences between us i think there are a few marriage uh qualities that we had to cry out to god for more than patience and when i read the old testament i just see god send prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet to say basically the same people who thinks to people who weren't listening and i think man how patient god is with us most of the things that would between Lavala and me are not ever there because there's an intention by the other person to cause the other person distress. It's just not what's going on. And so uh, you understand that you're different. You don't make offense out of something that's not an offense. And you look for a way to talk about those differences so we can capitalize on those differences rather than be divided because of them. Uh, I'll give you an example. Luella is just so beautifully relational. And one of the things I've learned is when I travel places to speak, I always come off better when Luella's with me. That's capitalizing on those differences because she's warm and she's loving. And I mean, it's not that I'm a creep, but <laughs> I'm not as wired as she is. I'm, I'm project oriented. I'm always thinking about the next thing. And so together, we work very well when we don't take personal offense at those differences. We really are better off together than we are apart. And we're better off together with these differences than we would be with uniformity, even though sometimes they're hard.
0: Okay, I think I'm going to move us then into this marriage parenting question to kind of go off of that, because there were a lot of parents who were asking me, in light of being together with their spouse and disciplining, often in the same moment, they're struggling to know, some of them are feeling like they're the only disciplinarian and their spouse gets to be the fun one, and that difference of how they handle the kids is becoming really prominent right now. So what advice do you have for parents who are struggling and finding their place in these roles and in that difference?
1: So again, you would understand that you put two human beings in a room and it's a good possibility. One is going to be oriented toward order and one is going to be oriented toward relationship. That's really quite typical. Uh, that's why in a business you have administrators and you have human services people. They're, they're just wired differently. Uh, both of them are necessary. So the, I, I can imagine that that uh, that's quite regular uh, in experience in marriage. Second thing I would say is it is unhealthy for your children to realize that my mom and dad are on the same page, authority-wise. That one person's a drill sergeant and the other person's a soft touch. Because what that does is it teaches children authority manipulation skills that they shouldn't have. And so if they want get, to get away with something, they know where, where to go. And one of the things they're willing to sacrifice to get their way is the unity of their parents. Because if they know mom would have said no and dad says yes, now the child has been part unwittingly of creating a conflict between mom and dad. That's a dysfunctional system that can is is gonna be hurtful to mom and dad and to the child. So how does a couple work together when one is more oriented to relationship and one is more oriented to order, law, discipline. Well, you can't do that without committing to a way of operating as a husband and wife that you both both signed on for. Here's what I think often happens. We don't have a parenting plan. We just have reactive parenting. We've never sat down and said, these are the ways that we're going to respond to issues in the house and to discipline and correction. And so if you're left with reactive parenting, one person will, will react with discipline and one people person will act with acquiescence and then you're mad at one another. Versus once you have a plan, then you have not only a basis for unity, but you have a basis for dealing with disunity. Then it's completely appropriate for a wife to come to her husband and say, you know, we agreed that we would do X. And it, in this situation, it didn't seem like you followed through. Help me to understand. You can never have those kinds of healthy conversations if you haven't first established a plan. The the problem with reactive parenting, it's almost always driven emotionally. Rather than sitting down and saying, what are the ages of our children? What is it right to expect for them? Where Where do we see them needing discipline? How are we gonna handle those things? So now both of you understand the plan. Both of you are signed on. This is gonna hurt some people's feelings. But I think often, even in Christian families, Husbands and wives spend more time planning their vacations than they plan their parenting.
0: <laughs> Not anymore.
1: <laughs> That's Just right. Because yeah, you can't go vacations anywhere. Vacations
0: anymore. Paul may be a little right, that sometimes it's easier to plan a vacation than to be intentional about our parenting or even how we guide our kids spiritually. I know, though, a lot of parents that listen to the show desire to read God's Word and pray and worship together with their families, but often they don't have a plan that they can put into place. So here I've got an option for you, a resource. It's this month's sponsor. It's Exploring the Bible Together. It's a book by David Murray. He's a pastor, a counselor, and a father of five. And he wants to bring joy and regularity to your family devotions. He wants to give families a clear plan as they set out to explore God's Word. So in this book, you're going to find 52 weekly expeditions. I think that's doable. Once a week feels like right up my alley. Each one featuring a short passage of scripture, two discussion questions, an application lesson, and a short prayer prompt. It is perfect for families with children ages 6 to 12. Exploring the Bible Together provides an overview of the story of the Bible from creation in Genesis 1-1 to the culmination of redemption and revelation in a way that's both interactive and engaging. And now through May 18th, 2020, Don't Mom Alone listeners can pick up a copy of Exploring the Bible Together along with a selection of ESV children's Bibles for 40% Off with a free Crossway Plus membership. For more information, visit crossway.org forward slash DMA and the number six. That's crossway.org slash DMA six. All right, let's get back to my chat with Paul. I think you're right. I think there is that, that there's an energy. I would say talking to a friend last week, or maybe maybe it was this week, you know, <laughs> they all run together, that she and her spouse had a very clear guideline, and she didn't know what to do because her husband had uh, directly gone against it because he'd seen another family not following that rule. And so to make the child happy, he was kind of like, oh, never mind, we won't keep that rule. And so the wife was left with this, what do I do? I feel like we're at this impasse. We haven't They haven't resolved it. Uh, And the wife's motivator being safety and the husband's motivator was being keeping a child happy. And in a season when a lot of things have been removed and there's a lot of grief. And so if we can find one place where it brings happiness and joy. So both with different motivations and they have sat down and they've made their rules in parenting, but then still at an impasse because of these different motivations.
1: That's not an impasse. Okay. That's a betrayal.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. So, so how, would she, how would she handle that?
1: In pass is when we're sitting at a table and we really want to get to the same point and we're having trouble getting there. Got it. That, it's, it's a betrayal when we have agreed on a way of operating and without any discussion or renegotiating with me, you have decided to throw away the plan. You can never have parenting work when you do that.
0: So how do you get back to unity if that's happened?
1: You have to do what every loving relationship must do because This side of eternity wrong will happen in our relationship It will because we're flawed people Part of the full range of what love is Is the willingness to confront things like betrayal And you have to love that person more than you love yourself you have to be willing to step into what is tense and awkward to address something that if it's not addressed, will bring confusion to your children and disunity to you as a couple. It's that the only way to deal with it. You've got to that has to be put on the table, not with screaming and yelling, not with the wrong kind of accusations of motives, not with name calling, but it has to be done. And, and here's the question that you should be asking. In this moment where confrontation is necessary, what is it that God wants this person to see that he's not seeing, and how can I help him see it? And and I think I could give the answer to that. I think the issue is not the particular rule that the person tossed out. It's the unfaithfulness of doing that. It's taking the right to break an agreed-upon covenant with my spouse in order for me and my child to be comfortable.
0: Wow. Yeah. It feels heavier with the word betrayal, but I think that's why it hurts. And I think that it is happening in multiple relationships, husbands to wives, wives to husbands. And I think sometimes wives do it because that connection between the child and the mom can be strong. And so there's this betrayal to the rule that maybe the husband had put in place. Um, So I can see where if that grows and not just one little, one betrayal, but multiple stacked on top of each other unaddressed, that resentment just builds and that disunity pulls and kids grow up.
1: and Yeah. It can be very damaging. The other way it goes is, in the heart of the person who is the betrayer, the more I am okay with small betrayals, the more that comes a pattern for me. The more susceptible my heart becomes to big betrayals. I am. I am deeply persuaded that by the time something like adultery takes place, there's been all kinds of low-level unfaithfulness go on in that relationship, and so we we have to protect the sanctity of those agreements that we make the sanctity of the promises that we make to one another those are holy things Uh, and if we get used to breaking those we almost have no platform for understanding and trust between us and one of the best things you can give to your children is unity and trust between you and it just, it just can't work. And that's why you can't not deal with those situations. Uh, and you don't want to be overly dramatic, but if we can't agree and follow through, if if I can't trust you to look me in the face and say, I agree, that's the way we'll handle it. Well, it's just not gonna work. And that's why you love always, because we're always loving the less than per- perfect person love always has to have that element of confrontation in it. If if I refuse ever to deal with those issues, I don't actually love you in the way that I should because I I want I want better for you and I want better with you than that.
0: Well, and it's it's making me think that possibly when that sitting down and the parenting decision is being made or rules are being established, that possibly One parent is more invested and maybe has done all the book reading and the research and just has a really strong bias towards this one way. And the other spouse, just to make life easier in that moment, agrees but isn't fully bought in. And so when the situation comes up, they go along with the child because that's where their actual bent was. They just didn't want to bring it up in the moment when the talking about parenting was happening. I don't know if that makes sense what I just said, but you
1: know, yeah. And I, that's why I think that in those moments when you're having that conversation, you have to give that other person an ability to disagree, to say, that's not the way I would handle this. So you can negotiate those things through so when you get to an agreement, it is a, it is a real ingre- agreement. You can't have a conversation where you've got it all down on a piece of paper and just stick in front of the person and say, sign the bottom line. right? Because that's not an agreement, that's a monarchy. And, and so you've gotta have a conversation, a back and forth till you arrive at a plan that now both of you are conceptually and emotionally invested in.
0: And that requires the one who's most dominant in that conversation to give space for the other person and ask questions like, how did your parents handle this? And how? what What do you think is most important here To to kind of give space and listen?
1: That person can't go into that conversation so emotionally invested in their plan that they're not willing to give in any place. They have to say, this is the way I think we should handle this, but I'd love to hear from you. I'd love for us to come to a point where we both are very comfortable with the way of handling some of the things we're dealing with. That can work. But you know, you can go into those conversations and you can have what I call a silencing way of communicating. You communicate what you want so strongly that the other person just has little to do but to acquiesce. Yeah. Although they haven't, they're not really invested in the plan because you really haven't had a conversation.
0: Yeah, I think that's important for all of us to hear today. And I want to get next to some parenting questions, but if you don't mind, I might take a tiny circle back to marriage because we talked about the betrayal and we talked about making conversations to work it out and how trust may need to be rebuilt and I'm kind of feeling this nudge to talk about trust a little bit more. So, if you don't mind, how how do we get back that trust that's been broken so we can move forward and be the kind of parents we want to be?
1: Trust is is not first a set of commitments. Trust is a set of observable actions. It means that I have to realize that trust has been weakened in our marriage. And so what can I do to deepen, strengthen that bond of trust? It means I follow through with what I'll say I do. It means I'm... Patient. It means I'm willing to forgive. I mean, all of those elements that make that person want to move toward me become even more important in a place where trust has been been weakened. Probably the the most self-examining question is, what are the things that I've done that have led us to a weakened trust in our marriage? What a wonderful thing to confess those things. It's easy to say. I trust you. But trust is incredibly important and is delicate. Trust is the fine china of a marriage. Right. Uh, And so, what do you do with fine china? You carry it carefully, you use it carefully. You realize this is valuable. And I want to do things that make you want to talk to me, make you want to confess to me. I want to have a relationship with you when I walk down the hallway. No matter how uncomfortable this moment has been, you can say, I trust that person. And and until I'm willing to say, I can trust that person, notice the turn of the words here, It's, it's hard for me to entrust myself to that person. Yeah. You can't have a healthy marriage without trust. And if there's trust, you have to do things actions that engender trust. You know, for example, if I'm lazing around with not much to do as a husband, and you're overburdened with a variety of things from schooling the children and doing the laundry and preparing a meal, and I just sit there, that's probably not very trust-building, because it doesn't seem like at that moment you have my best interest at heart. Now, if I come in and I say to you, "Honey, you're, you're really busy. What can I, what can I do to help you?" That makes you feel loved, makes you feel understood, makes you feel cared for. And if you say, "Well, if you could just get in there with the kids, do the best to manage their schoolwork while I do some of these tasks or while I make dinner," then you've had two trust actions on top of one another. First, you've, gone, you've noticed this person and you've cared for them. Second, you've acted upon that. Those are all trust strengthening things. If after you say, how was your day? It seemed like it was really a rough day for you. That's a third thing that you're doing that engenders trust. Look, trust is like a garden too. You know, if you plant flowers, you just can't plant them and walk away. You have to weed that garden all the time. Trust is that way. It It takes nurture, and you have to be committed to that. You, you can't put a flawed person next to a flawed person and just coast. A marriage has to have a good work ethic, a commitment to the work that makes a marriage healthy. And part of that work is trust work, work that we do that builds trust between us. Now, what's important about that is The couples that make it through conflict are the couples that brought trust into the conflict. The couples who have trouble in conflict are the couples who already had a breakdown of trust. They unwittingly carry distrust into the conflict that just makes the conflict even harder to solve. Imagine sitting across the table and thinking, I don't agree with you at all, but I trust you deeply. Right. And saying, I don't agree with you at all, and I don't have any trust of you. Those are two entirely different moments and two entirely different conversations.
0: You're not interested in my good along with your good. You're only interested in your good. It's times like these that I'm particularly thankful for Paul's mentoring in marriage and for all the wisdom he just shared with us, which I can bring to you because. Of sponsors and I'd love to share one of those sponsors with you. What if I told you you could get high quality organic and non-GMO groceries delivered to your door for a lot less than you're paying now and help out other families in need? That's what I've been doing since I discovered thrive market as a proud thrive market member i'm getting products i love literally went onto the website and i'm finding all the things that i love to buy such delicious food siete chips i found some uh foaming hand soap that i've been looking for in the stores and they're completely out i found on thrive market and what's even better is with my paid membership it provides a free membership for someone else in need like a low-income family teacher veteran or first responders Thrive Market tailors to over 70 different diets. I've been trying to eat more things with coconut and less and more dairy free. They had everything I was looking for and you can save 25 to 50% off the traditional retail prices. I was surprised how much cheaper the products were and you get free shipping, uh carbon neutral shipping free on orders over $49. So here's the great news. You can try Thrive Market and become a member risk free. So go to thrivemarket.com/dma, join today and you'll get up to $20 in shopping credit. Toward your first order. That's T H R I V E market.com slash DMA to start your risk free membership and get up to $20 toward your first order. Thrive market.com slash DMA. Oh, my stars. We haven't even gotten all the way through and we're almost done with our time, Paul. We need (laughs) days together. I'm so glad that you recorded all that stuff over at family.paultrip.com I'll mention it again because lots of teaching sessions there available from Paul but let's uh, let's do a little bit of parenting before we leave everyone is there something in what we were going to talk about that you'd really like to hit on
1: let me give people just a, a a way of thinking their way through parenting real quickly i i think of three stages of parenting 0 to 5 that the thing that you ought to be working on most is authority loving authority children come into the world they want to be their own authority that fight over whether your daughter's two-year-old daughter is going to eat her peas is not about diet she hasn't read a diet book it's about authority i don't want somebody telling me what to do when you're help trying to help child tie a shoe and he slaps away your hand uh what that is is self-sufficiency so it's very important in those early days. To establish in the child a need for authority. Authority is good for me. It's wise. It's loving. It's helpful. I learn things. Because you can't do anything else in the the next stages of parenting if you haven't established a foundation of authority. Parents say, but it's just such little things. That's the beauty. You don't want to fight your authority battles with a 17 year old where the issues are huge. You want to fight those battles early when it's little teeny issues, but you're being used of God. To help that child who's naturally rebellious to authority to begin to cement and to re- realize the value of authority.
0: And to say that I know your bo- book says that this is not, this is done in a way like Christ would love someone to a place of authority. This isn't done in a harsh.
1: No, God makes his invisible authority visible by sending parents of authority, to give authority for children. My authority is supposed to reflect the beautiful authority of God
0: who is kind, you mentioned he's patient. He's pretty patient because I'm feeling like uh, the number of abuse cases I'm seeing here in Dallas, it's usually kids between zero and five. And so uh, I don't, yeah, I don't That's want horrible. people to think, well, I've got to establish my authority. And so I'm going to be extra harsh. That is not anywhere near what Paul is talking about. And he would, if you've read any of his books, you would uh, know.
1: Authority. Dealt with unlovingly and harshly will will damage the heart of that child and harden that heart against authority. It's it's a horrible thing.
0: Yeah, I feel like my boys trust my authority more when we have had connected, loving, cuddling times, which is why that zero to five is such a great time to establish authority because there's so much physical touch and care given in those years, and so if it's paired with that, then. It's this beautiful, beautiful way to get authority when you're not just taking away screens and phones. You know, when you get to the older years, it's harder yeah, to establish the, that.
1: The best context for any exercise of authority is, is loving, loving, loving relationship. It just is. Uh, let, let me take you to the second stage. It's, it's uh, 6 through 12, and the, the emphasis there is character development. Here's why. I, I learned Soon, that not all the wrong things my children do are as a direct rebellion to authority. A lot of that just a lack of character. And, and as their world widens and as uh, their responsibilities get greater, like with schooling and wider circle of friends, I see all those character weaknesses, and every one of those is an opportunity. You've heard me say this. If you ever see the sin, weakness, and failure of your child, it's never an accident. It's always grace. God loves that child. He's put him in a family of faith, and he will reveal the need of that child to you so you can be part of the good thing that God wants to do in growing that child. So I don't just want to be an authoritarian. I want to realize that there is development of care that needs to take place, and I want to look for opportunities to be, be part of that. And God will give you opportunities. In all these things, you have to have not an event model of parenting, but a process model. It's not about winning in the moment. It's about gaining ground each time. Because change, by God's design, is most often a process and not an event. And so you say, well, I didn't. I didn't get anywhere I wanted to be. Well, praise God, you'll wake up with that child the next day. (laughs) You will have another opportunity. So so we want to establish character loving or authority lovingly because that's a foundation on which we'll do all the other things. We want to have eye toward character. And then you have the 13 till whenever period of time where the goal there is what I would call internalization that the good things that that child has learned through the early stages now become internalized. They're not you, something you're forcing on the children, they become theirs. And that's, that's the final stage then preparing them for their emancipation into the wider world. I, I wrote a book, Age of Opportunity, about teenage years because people had such a negative view of the teen, teen years. In terms of parenting, there are years of awesome opportunity. Because what gets revealed in the teen years is a true heart of your child. And that's an opportunity to have the best, most important uh, talks and encounters with your child that you've ever had. And so, what that uh, authority, character, internalization does, it gives you a sense of where you are in the life of your child. For example, a teenager asks the question Are they in the process of buying in to all that they've learned? Or in that, are they in the process of chucking it and going in another direction? Uh, do I see my child at 7 to 12 growing in character or do I see things that are really a concern? 2 uh, to 5, do I see this child uh, growingly uh, responding to authority or do we have an authority problem? So it gives you uh, orientation because now if you have goals, that you've established, it gives you a way of dealing with the thing, the specific thing that you're now dealing with. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. And it reminds me that all children are in process. I think holding a child to a perfect adult standard at four years old is not helpful for you or them. And There's a lot of frustrations I hear from parents where I'm like, they're developmentally not able to do the thing that you're thinking they should be able to do.
1: So this this child comes into the world, they don't even have clue who they are, let alone their parents are their parents and what the role of that parent is. That's why they need loving, patient, forgiving, gracious, sweet authority because they desperately need authority in their lives. Human beings weren't wired to live without authority, but they don't have a clue. And they think they're capable of what they're not capable of. They don't know any of the dangers of the world. And so to establish authority in a loving way is so important. Uh, A seven-year-old doesn't have a clue what good character is and what good character isn't, but they need to, because if you're gonna have a good marriage, if you're gonna have good friends, if you're gonna get along with your neighbors, if you're gonna have a good boss, if you're gonna make it through your university, if you don't have character, it won't happen. So these points of focus are so important, but it can't just be law, 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 law. I can't just be a lawgiver, a jury, and a judge, and a jailer, because if all all my children needed was law, Jesus would have never had to come. They need more than that. They need the the grace of patient love, the grace of forgiveness, the grace of my being willing to have that conversation for the 10th time, the patience of knowing my child's upset now, I'm upset. We just have to say, that's all the further we're going to get today. We'll get another opportunity. It can't just be rules, rules, rules. Nobody could ever sustain that. And if that's all God had given us, we'd be doomed.
0: And thankfully, he gave us a savior and a helper Amen. to me. When a child accepts Christ by faith, that's a game changer as far as not just, oh, yay, they'll be in heaven, but this transformation process. You get a little help from the inside. And someone actually asked that they said their child recently accepted Christ. And so maybe if you could end our time with how do we help a child fall deeper in love with God? How do we help our child in their own faith journey since that's where true Transformation is going to come from.
1: My emphasis on authority, character, and internalization is not just to produce a good kid, but produce in that kid a sense of need for a savior. Because I don't naturally love authority. In terms of character, I don't always want to be nice and be kind and be patient. In every moment where you see a weakness or a failure, you have. A wonderful moment to point this child to Jesus. Every moment of correction discipline is also a moment of grace. And so it's, I don't want to just end with correction. I want to I take that correction as an opportunity to talk about the gospel once again with my child. Because ultimately, if my child's going to be who he, he support, was designed to be and do what he was created to do, relationship with Jesus. And and so I do want him to grow and mature, but every one of those growth, maturation, moments of correction and discipline is also a moment where I can talk about the person and work of Jesus. And that child can realize this is so important what I'm about to say, is that what he needs to be rescued from most is himself. And you can run from a location, you can run from a relationship, you can run from a situation, but you can't run from yourself. And that's something only Jesus can do.
0: Boom, drop the mic. Oh, man, well, our time is up. And I am so thankful for what you shared with us, keeping our eyes fixed in this season of stress, but also potential growth and leaning on Christ for all of that to save us from ourselves in this time. So thank you, Paul. I will point people, of course, your site and tell the resources you just created, and I truly appreciate you.
1: Thank you. Thank you for what you do. God bless.
0: All right. Have a great day. Thanks, y'all, for listening in. I really appreciate it. I know that the enemy did not want this content to go out there. If you only knew the technical difficulties behind that interview, whew, I cannot wait to get this to you uh, and for us to all be encouraged to continue to walk in what God has for us. even this last week when I was crying and frustrated with family challenges, I remembered Paul's question, God, what good do you have for me in this? worrying less about changing the people in my life and thinking about what are you what truth are you wanting me to lean into that I am enough because of Christ's sacrifice, that I'm not having to keep everything in my hand and do all of the work so that I get people's affirmation, but that I know that your love for me is enough. And so I'm praying that for you as you process what you just heard. I'm going to lift this up to God right now. Lord, I thank you for each person listening, dads, moms, grandparents. I pray that we would lean into the truth of who you say we are and that as we push through the hard parts of relationships, we can recognize the truth of the gospel holds that none of us is worthy in our own right, but you are the one who makes us worthy, that your love for us and Christ's sacrifice is what makes us worthy. And to release these expectations and standards that we're trying to hold ourselves to, especially in this COVID season, that we can rest in your grace and the favor that you give us that we never could deserve we could never work hard enough to earn i pray lord that you would sustain families that we would not um that we wouldn't crumble and create bad habits in this season but uh, you would you would be our sustainer lord you would be the one who holds all things together in jesus name Amen. All right. Thanks, y'all, for listening. Thank you all for sharing with your friends. Honestly, it feels like there's a lot more podcasts out there lately, but you all have been so faithful to listen and to share. We did that survey. Feel free to still fill it out. The giveaway's over, but we'd love to have your input. It's over at DontMomAlone.com forward slash survey. And in it, we discovered that 75% of those who filled it out have been listening to the show between two and five years, which is such loyalty. And so thank you for that. Thank you also for telling more people about the show. Um, It's hard to find new podcasts. And the only way really that people find them is from a friend telling a friend. So thank you for helping moms who might feel isolated during this season to feel less alone. Through um, these interviews, and I will see you back here next week. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, Jesus said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us, moms, that's superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present with you